Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another podcast. This time the podcast we have Dr. Anirudh Malpin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. You know, I'm hoping I'm going to be asking you more questions than you're going to be asking me because I think what you're doing is actually quite interesting. But we'll come back to that afterwards. This will be a competition. <laughs> awesome. So we'll be talking about a couple of things. Firstly, we'll be talking about angel investing. Then I want to pick his brains on Dali. Then there's a massive attack platform that Dr. Malpani is a public. You admirer. can name names. Yeah, I'll obviously uh, name sure, it. Sure, huh? We'll keep it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, it's okay. Massive edtech platform named Byju's, which Anirudh Malpani, Dr. Anirudh Malpani is a massive admirer of. And then the last topic we'll be talking about is free speech and social media. Awesome. Okay. So starting with angel investing. What is angel investing and how different is it from the traditional VC investing? I think a world of a difference. And I hate it when people confuse the two. Remember one thing, VCs do not invest their own money. Hmm. They invest other people's money. Which means in one sense, a VC is also very much like an entrepreneur. So the VC firm is run by what is called a GP or a general partner who needs to go raise money from wealthy people who are called LPs or limited partners who could be high network individuals like me. So I'll be an LP in some VC firms mm -hmm. or could be pension funds or sovereign funds. And then his job is to make sure that he generates an adequate return on that investment so he can give the money back sufficiently sure. multiplied mm -hmm. to the limited partner. The problem is that his fund has a limited lifespan. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got to be within 10 years, he's got to return the money. Plus, he needs to raise a new fund every three years. Interesting. So mm -hmm. what happens? The incentives are completely perverse. They're not aligned with the entrepreneur at all because businesses take anywhere from 15 to 20 years to mature. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I hear all about the unicorns and so on's done so much within five, but that's all highly abnormal. Sure. So let's forget about the outliers. So when you create a business as an entrepreneur, this is presumably something you want to be doing for mm -hmm. a long, long time and you'll get better and better at it. I think that's the problem. Whereas with angel investors, it's personal money. This is money mm -hmm. I have earned myself, which I'm investing. So not only do I have much more skin in the game, this is much more patient capital because mm -hmm. I'm not answerable to anyone except for my wife. So even if I lose the money, so be it, because I have to make those capital asset allocation decisions. I have to say, this is the proportion of my wealth I can afford to lose without losing any sleep over. So if it does well, great. That's a sweetener. That's, you know, icing on the cake. That's a cherry on the whatever. So that's brilliant. But I'm also realistic enough to understand that the base rate for startups failing is 90%. Sure. Most startups are going to go belly up and I'm no smarter than anyone else. You know, most VCs have a high failure rate. Why would Dr. Malpani have a better success rate? Sure. So we assume that that's fine, that most of them will fail. And yet I continue giving the money. I'm not an idiot. This is mm -hmm. hard earned money. Mm -hmm. And this is not charity and this is not philanthropy I'm doing. There is a framework. We have an investment thesis. And I share that investment thesis on our website, which is malpaniventures.com. Mm -hmm. And what is a hypothesis? A hypothesis is we want to invest in startups where other guys aren't interested in investing. So sure. typically VCs will look for startups which will grow exponentially mm -hmm. and give them an exit. Sure. Three years, five years, 10 years. I'm not looking for a quick exit. I'm looking for a frugal entrepreneur who wants to build a business mm -hmm. which will add value to the user. So I'm not saying I need to see something happen with it, you know, any amount of time. So we give entrepreneurs a lot more autonomy. Mm. The next question is, you know, Dr. Malpani, you talk a lot, but tell us your success stories. I have zero success stories. Am I ashamed of that? Absolutely not. Because I don't even expect them to be by using other people's metrics. 
बिकॉज अदर पीपल्स मेट्रिक्स एंड वीसीज मेट्रिक्स आर ऑल फाइनेंशियल रिटर्न ऑन इन्वेस्टमेंट इतना पैसा डेला इतना पैसा निकला विच इज फाइन बट दैट्स नॉट वट आई एम यूजिंग आई एम यूजिंग वट आई कॉल लर्निंग ऑन इन्वेस्टमेंट विच मीन्स हाउ मच डिड आई लर्न बाई इंटरक्टिंग विद दिस पर्टिकुलर फाउंडर एंड दैट्स वाई If I then invest in fields I know nothing about, mm. but I'm impressed with the entrepreneur. Mm. I think he's willing to teach me. I think he's coachable. The amount of learning on investment is great. It's not that the failure rate will not be high. It'll be as high as it is for everyone else. Sure. But that's something I'm fairly detached. Okay. So not only do I get to learn a lot more about the world, so I do it for selfish reasons, sure. not mm. for financial reasons. Mm. But honestly, I think emotional reasons are far more important. And then you use logic to back them up. Okay. So you get to hang out with young entrepreneurs. You mm-hmm. get to help. You, I think of myself as a catalyst at this stage in my life. Mm-hmm. Sure. You help to make their dreams come true, which can be very satisfying. Interesting. Next question. So I read a tweet recently, and it was something about founders failing, right? So I'm sure I've been been through experiences where their investment has sort of failed. So how do you deal with it? How do you sort of make sure the founder is okay and you're okay? Great That's, question again. Okay. I think there are two levels at this. One is mm-hmm. the financial level, and the second is the emotional level. The financial level, I'm reasonably detached. As long as mm-hmm. he's put in enough effort, done in good faith, has not tried to shaft me, has been open about mm-hmm. the fact he's we're running into problems. This is what's going to happen. We're happy to be supportive. We may decide, and we don't make decisions for entrepreneurs. I mean, it's his company. He has the domain expertise. I'm a minority shareholder. All I've done is give him the money. So we're happy for him to make the decisions. If he decides, you know, we need to shut this down, we need to pivot or whatever else, I said do it, but do it gracefully. Remember, it's not me or answerable to you or answerable to users, employees, so many other things. I think it's the emotional consequences of failure, and mm. especially in India where people don't look upon failing very kindly. But you know what? As an IVF doctor, I'm used to dealing with failure all right. the time mm-hmm. because most IVF cycles will fail, irrespective of how good a doctor I am. and how good the treatment i provide which is why we spend a lot of time in counseling patients on having realistic expectations and that's why we tell founders in fact before we invest in a startup we will do what is called a premortem mm-hmm. what is a premortem mean these are the possible reasons you can fail sure there are some things you can control most things you can't control shit happens all the time and have a plan so you can deal with this stuff and as long as you have the plan and you've tried your best you know i think that's fair enough i wouldn't okay. i i try to explain to them learn to be kind to yourself a failure is not the end of the world just because your startup fails doesn't mean that you have failed mm-hmm. and in fact for me my dream would be to fund a founder who has failed earlier sure. because he's learned all his lessons on someone else's dime so to say so he's going to be that much more careful that much more this things so i'm really not fast about failure at all I think people need to learn to take a lot more risks. Interesting. So, next question is: See, how do you guys actually scout? Are you the ones who scout the startups, or they pitch to you? Because you said you fund frugal founders. Right? Do you have a research team behind you who sort of? So yes, yes. So you know, we think of ourselves as a blend of combining mm-hmm. the best of both worlds. The mm-hmm. best of angel investing is you write your own check. You don't not answerable to some third party. You don't have to worry about fifty different things because it's personal money, so you can do it very quickly. but we also have a team so we have two analysts and we have an advisor mm-hmm. who, because you know let's be honest i get carried away by smart entrepreneurs who are young who want to change the world mm-hmm. these guys are very charismatic and then you say oh, wow what a great job here let me sign the check tomorrow mm-hmm. but it's actually not always the smartest thing to do okay. uh, and that's why we have the analysts and they have a fiduciary responsibility to me they need to make sure i don't waste my money i don't do stupid things therefore we have a framework 
and they're the ones who do the due diligence. So I always tell people, I have the easy job. I just need to sign the check. Sure. They're the guys who need to do the due diligence, ask the hard questions, make sure they get an MIS every month, mm -hmm. make sure the founder is doing what he's supposed to be doing, you know, keeps everything on track. So that can be pretty challenging. So we have a system. There's a mm -hmm. method to the madness. It's sure. not like, oh, you know, great. I'm Copy just going ahead and mm -hmm. that's not, it's not. Okay, so how does like a general pitch meeting look like in Malpani Ventures? So coming back to your question about deal flow. So we have uh -huh. a website. So, uh -huh. you know, there'll be some push, there'll be some pull. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to get lots of founders on LinkedIn. I've actually invested in people who reached out to me on LinkedIn or whom I saw were posting interesting stuff on LinkedIn. And I'm doing the same thing on Twitter. I've been kicked out of LinkedIn, LinkedIn which is yeah. why I would, getting, we're getting to that. Yeah. yeah. But so yeah. therefore I used to, and I, you know, I see so many people write so much interesting stuff. So I said, Hey, are you looking for funding? No. You know, reach out to me hmm. or come and pitch to me. We do tell them, please read our investment thesis on our website. We're often the wrong investors for lots of people, what but I it? think multiple things. I think I'm frugal. Hmm. I'm not interested in, you know, building a unicorn in the next five years. Hmm. Uh, there's so many things. So I, I think, I think I need to find a founder who thinks the way I think. Mm. And a founder needs to find an investor who thinks the way he thinks. So if you want a founder who wants to build a unicorn, then I'm absolutely the wrong person for him. If you want a founder who's frugal, who understands this is a long-term business which he's building, I think I'm the right person. So like sort of help frugal founders for that. But why not sort of help build a unicorn? I'm not allergic to unicorns. Yeah. Please understand that. I'm not allergic to making money. I am a capitalist. I'm very happy to make tons of mm. money. I just think that it's exceptionally hard to do that. My bigger worry is that in order to do that, you may end up shafting your users. And that's something I'm strongly allergic to. So I always tell founders, you know, investors are important, but your users are far more important. And the most important people are your employees. Mm. So I think as long as you do that, that you're then creating a business which is sustainable and scalable, which is not dependent on the mercy of an investor. Because to build a unicorn, you need to raise at least five or six rounds of funding. Mm. Once you're on that path, a series A is never enough. Then you're always thinking about a series B, then you're thinking about a series B, you're looking for a greater fool, you're manipulating your metrics in such a way that will be of interest to the next investor rather than thinking about, you know, what am I doing to make my business sounder, make mm -hmm. my employees happier, improve the work culture, add more value to my customers. So I think you get completely distracted. Sure. So I think it's fine if you build a unicorn in the process of building a strong business Okay. which adds value and the reality is it can be done hmm. you have so many stories you know whether it's zero da whether it's dmart so i think there are lots of real life examples exactly. the yeah. problem is that these real life examples don't talk much about themselves because really they don't care about the rest sure. of the world they don't care about the financial press they don't care about impressing anyone else they don't issue press releases sure. which is why 90% of your startup press is full of all these stories, which I think are just full of irrelevant vanity metrics sure. because the press releases are funded by VCs. Hmm. Yeah, I got in touch with one of the Zerodha guys. I got uh, Dinesh Pai, who is the head of uh, Rain Matter, which is the investment wing of Zerodha. And he said something which was really interesting. It's the, the thing they do at Zerodha is they have a flat hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Like apart from the ones who are sort of at the top, everyone else has like an equal say, which is an interesting thing to do because a few startups tried that and it didn't really work out. Whereas Zerda, which is a bootstrap. So there's, there's called this, I mean, you know, there was a model called holacracy, holacracy which yeah. tried that stuff, mm. you know, so some of these work, some of these don't work. And I think trying to copy and paste someone else's model will never work. I think it's very leadership specific. Like yeah. So you need to work what work, you know, for example, Zerda will never cross a certain size. It doesn't need to sure. because it's so tech strong. 
Hmm. So understand, you know, you just can't apply the Zeroda model to, let's say, Jio or Adani or someone else. Different businesses require different solutions. Sure. Okay. So I have this weird hypothesis. Okay. So to predict the next big thing, the easiest way to do that is to see where most VC money is going. That's sort of my hypothesis. I might be wrong, obviously. What's no, actually, on? I wouldn't say you're wrong. I think VCs are smart guys. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. So, you know, obviously, they're trying to stay ahead of the curve and they're trying to identify what the next trends are. But the reality is they often get a lot of things wrong also. Mm-hmm. So you can't do anything blindly. Sure. So just like with everything else, you keep your eyes and ears open. I think reading science fiction is a great way of identifying what the next big thing is going to be because these are guys with a creative imagination. They're thinking about where the world is going to be 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of ways you can get your ideas. But the biggest mistake to make is to copy what other guys are doing. Sure. And therefore, and that's the big problem. You know, all VCs play the Me Too game. Mm-hmm. All entrepreneurs play the Me Too game. Are isko funding mila hai? Chalo, main bhi wohi cheech karunga. Mm-hmm. Are yaar, you know, ye kar raha hai, wo to mera batchmate tha. I did much better than him. To usko paise mila hai, to main bhi kar sakta ho. Mm-hmm. I think that's boring. And that often, that is the natural history that, you know, a certain space gets crowded, mm-hmm. too hot, and then there are very few winners left at the end of it. So really, I think all that is a distraction. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing about being an angel investor, is that if you find an entrepreneur whom you think is making sense, who has counterintuitive insights, mm-hmm. who's willing to stick to whatever he's doing, who's not worrying about where the next round of funding is coming from, mm-hmm. those are guys I'm happy to fund. Interesting. So do you think there's like a FOMO game even in the VC space? Of course. All of it. Wow. Completely. I mean, that's well known. Wow. So if one investor is invested, it becomes easier for the entrepreneur to raise more funding from others. Absolutely. And I think there are multiple knock-on effects. One is the herd mentality. Mm -hmm. So it's typical, you know, you'll never get fired as the saying used to be for picking IBM. So as long as you're taking safe bets, if fintech is hot and then you take a fintech bet and then it goes down, that's fine. Don't forget, VCs also have major career risk. Hmm. which means they're answerable to their LP. So if they sure. don't do well, but if they do as badly as every other VC, hmm. that's fine. You know, what can you do? Hey, funding winter, the world went to hmm. pieces, all that stuff so that you can get away with. But if you have the courage to do a contrarian bet mm-hmm. and that contrarian bet doesn't do well, you're in deep shit, pardon my French. Fair, so fair. I think, you know, and I think in order to make money, you need two hmm. things. You need to be contrarian and you need to be right. Hmm. And that's the beauty about being an angel investor. I can afford to take those contrarian bets without having to worry about someone looking over my shoulder and second guessing me all the time. Sure. So most of my contrarian bets are going to turn out to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's the nature of the beast. Yeah. You can't be right just because you're contrarian. Mm. But at some point, my hypothesis is that if we fund these businesses and at some point they become self-sustaining and they generate enough cash flow, so they are masters of their own fate and they don't need to depend on VCs or other investors to continue to grow. At some point, they will reach an interesting stage where the rest of the world will hopefully catch up and Mm. say, oh, this is a great space to be in. Who are the three or four companies in this space? And this is one of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why don't we go pursue them or why don't we go fund them? all this is theory Mm -hmm. so please don't take everything i say with a very large pinch of salt i have no success stories to talk about and i don't even want anyone else to be doing what i'm doing Mm -hmm. because i think it would make no sense for them it makes a lot of sense for me at my stage in life Mm -hmm. but if you tried doing the same thing you'd mostly be extremely unhappy so you'd you'd be happy if your investments do not need sort of funding anymore like new no new series absolutely that's what my this thing is so ideally we would want someone Mm -hmm. who says you know this is how much i need to become self-sufficient and this is what Mm -hmm. i need in order to be able to grow and that's perfect something like a head start i actually a little different in the sense we're looking for guys who already got traction 
mm. who've already got paying customers and then need additional money to get more paying customers. That's our sweet spot. Uh, remember, having said all this, I make the rules, I break the rules. I try not to break them. <laughs> My analysts won't let me do that. But we do bend them all the time. Mm. And I think that's fine. Okay, so how do you calculate risk exactly? You said you have a couple of analysts here and there. But like, what's your risk calculation method like? Like I said, this is money I can afford to lose. Oh, like that. Like a general, like how a normal person would invest in the stock market. Like this It's is. actually different. Okay. Because again, stock market investing is very different sure, from sure, sure. investing. Is you know, you yeah. there's no liquidity. Yeah. You have to have a decadal perspective. This mm -hmm. is not money which it gets locked up. It gets locked up. You have no, so, so many other things. But I think you're also, in one sense, the distinction is artificial. Mm -hmm. And it's artificial because you want today's startups to become tomorrow's blue chips. The reality is it's going to take 20 years for that journey to happen. So one of our hypothesis was, is that the lessons we will learn from these startups, because we get to engage and interact with these founders a lot, because these are early days for them, sure. will hopefully help them to become the blue chips for tomorrow, because we get insights by investing in the public market, which mm -hmm. we can then apply and teach these guys, this is what you need to do. Conversely, mm -hmm. A blue chip, forget about a blue chip, even some founder or a promoter of a company who's listed on the stock exchange doesn't have time to talk to you. He's a so, busy guy, he's doing well, he's got 50 other things and he doesn't have a very good opinion of investment analysts because he thinks of them as being bean counters anyway. Hmm. But because we have insights into the psyche of a founder at his early stage, hmm. don't forget this founder of this company which is now listed was exactly in that phase 10 years ago. Sure. So we think we have more insights into the way he thinks and the way he works. So to that extent, it's a continuum. Hmm. And we hope to apply lessons from either end of the continuum to other, both the ends. Okay, so let's let's get back to the pitch meeting situation. Right? So what I've heard is, correct me if I'm wrong, key, the investors get sold in the first 15 seconds of the pitch. Is you're watching too much Shop Tank. No, I didn't uh, watch it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. No. Don't start off. Come on. You know, I mean, yeah, that's all right. You fall in love. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're also sensible enough to realize that falling in love is necessary, but not sufficient. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you do all the other bits and pieces which sure. you require. And, you know, we know that sometimes a lot of founders don't speak English well. Mm. A lot of founders have difficulty telling their story well. And just because they have difficulty doesn't mean that we're not going to listen mm. to what they're saying. So, interestingly, we're actually quite happy to look at numbers and I always tell founders lead with your strengths. Mm. So even if your command of English is not very good and you're not a very good storyteller and you can't communicate very well, but you know, if you're making money, then that's sure. so much yeah. more important mm. than any, everything that's else. So I think it's just different at different stages mm. of the startup. So I wouldn't generalize like that. Okay. Let's say we're talking about a SaaS startup. What does the ideal pitch, pitch deck look like? Like, let's say for you, if it's pitching to you, how does it look like? Let's I'm making so much money and I want to wow. make more. That, that's perfect all. enough i mean think about it if he's making money he's done so many things right sure. or he would but never have got to that stage he's got mm -hmm. product market fit he's got customer channels set up he's growing his business you know the amount of due diligence i need to do is going to be so much less and i'd much rather have people like that where i don't have to do the hard work mm -hmm. because they've already done it Industry. Whereas with other companies, the amount of due diligence you need to do is so much more because you need to interview customers, you need to interview employees, you need to interview competitors, you need to interview vendors, so many other things. Whereas this guy has a system which mm. works very well. Sure. Okay, so let's say, when do you think is the right time to go for funding? That's a decision only an entrepreneur can make. You should never let someone else make that decision mm. for you, very honestly. You know, that's the same thing I tell all my patients. Mm. 
I tell them you will always have options. Don't forget, you know, I'm an IVF specialist. So it's not compulsory to have babies. You could choose to lead child free. You could choose to adopt a baby. You could choose to do IVF. But you need to live with the consequence of that decision. And you cannot abdicate that responsibility sure. to anyone else. Mm -hmm. You can't tell a doctor what can tell you what to do. Because mm -hmm. a doctor is not a mind reader. So he doesn't know what's right for you. And he may tell you in good faith, you know, do this. And it may actually be a terrible decision for you. And that's exactly for an entrepreneur because there is a price you pay for everything. There is a risk reward ratio. Mm -hmm. Taking money has advantages, but it also comes with its own problems. And therefore you need to figure it out. So usually I tell people, you know, you decide how much you want to raise. You decide what your pre-money valuation is. And you don't know how to do that. I'm not going to spoon feed you and I'm so, not going to tell you how to do it. These are the three books you should read. Mm -hmm. Go read them, figure it out and then come back. And if I think these are reasonable numbers, and I think that, yes, you're being empathetic. You understand an investor's perspective. Then, you know, we're happy to have the conversation. Uh, most people just don't bother. Wow. They pull out numbers of the hat or they talk to their mentors or whatever else who tells them, Mary, ek million to kam se kam puchna chahiye, oh, stuff wow. like that. So, you know, that makes no sense. You've sure. not applied your mind. Mm -hmm. and if you're not willing to apply your mind now, what makes you think you want to apply your mind then? Let me also tell you one thing. Whenever we talk to an entrepreneur, I tell them, look, whether or not I will fund you, my goal is I should have added value to your life. Maybe by teaching you how to think about growth, teaching you how to think about corporate governance, teaching you how to think about customers or what you need to do. And if we've done that, then that's good enough for us. Conversely, we expect them to add value to our life mm -hmm. by teaching us stuff about a domain which we didn't know much about because, you know, these guys are domain sub matter experts. They've been doing that and hopefully they'll have counterintuitive insights. But again, like I said, all this is in theory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of these things will come to pass at some point. I don't know when, but when they do, I'd rather my entrepreneurs did the talking for me rather sure. than keep on bragging about what a great investor I am. Okay. Take it. So this one situation that's been sort of up on the internet for a while is companies raising a lot of money and not being profitable and using that money to create distribution first and then figuring out profitability later on. Then that's a good way to look at things. Or? You know, again, to answer that question, I think it depends on what field you're in. So, so it's not fair let's really let's to take, generalize. Let's take tech and but, and And if capital is cheap, then I think mm -hmm. you should take advantage of that. Wow. So again, you need to customize what's available. Capital in India is not cheap. Hmm. Capital in the US used to be cheap. So if someone's throwing money at you, you know, take it and then see what happens with it. Ultimately, all of us are running experiments, whether they are experiments at a 1 lakh level, a 10 lakh level or a 1 crore level. How does sure. that matter? So sure. I wouldn't, uh, I try not to be judgmental mm. in the sense, you know, I'd say, look, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. But how does it matter whether it makes sure. sense to me or not? It makes mm -hmm. sense to someone else. And obviously, you know, someone who has a lot more money than I have mm -hmm. and is therefore willing to sign those checks is obviously seeing something which I'm missing. Good for them. Fair. Okay. Let's sort of jump to the next segment which is DALI and AI. So what's your general notion about how AI is progressing? And do you think it will take out jobs in the future? Or will you think, do you think that will make our lives easier? Both. Interesting. Uh, it'll take away mm -hmm. some jobs. It'll create some jobs. It'll allow you more leisure time to do, you know, stuff which you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, again, it's an oversimplification with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I think general AI, where you can apply it across yeah. the field, is still a long way away. And I think for a certain things, I think it's a very artificial distinction. Hmm. I think it's human plus AI. When you embed a sure. human in the loop, that's when the magic really occurs. Perfect. And therefore, I think it's so important that especially parents understand 
that the world of their kids is going to be very different from the world we're living in now. Mm -hmm. And the tragedy is they're really not preparing their kids for that world at all. Because you're preparing them for a world of the past, mm -hmm. which is the world which, you know, we've grown up in. And I think that's going to disrupt a lot of things. And it's not going to be just AI. It's going to be mm -hmm. 50 other things. All of them working in sync it's together. Okay. You know, it's just wide internet, uh, just higher broadband speeds, so many other things. So I think all these are enabling tools. And the problem with any enabling tool is that some people will take advantage of it mm -hmm. and become very, very rich or become very, very happy or very, very successful. And some people will be left behind. And there will be social and emotional consequences to that. Sure. So what I think it's almost like a bell curve type situation on the graph. So people are at the extreme end on the right side will be fine. On the left side, they're screwed. So how does a person figure out where do they stand on the bell curve? Like how do they figure out if they are safe or sort of they are in the, in the red zone? Uh, I think you should assume until proven otherwise that you're at risk. Interesting. Because just because you're safe today doesn't mean you're going to be safe tomorrow. And mm. that's what everyone kept on thinking. Oh, doctors can't be displaced and this thing. But a lot of, there's something called task shifting. And that's happened even with human beings. So a lot of things which doctors used to do, now nurses or what are called nurse assistants and medical physician assistants in the US do. It's a question of training skills and lots of doctors are quite happy because they don't want to be doing all the routine boring stuff. They'd sure. rather do all the high-end stuff. Mm. So again, I think a lot of it depends on how you frame this. If you frame it as an opportunity that, hey, this is going to allow me to play to my strengths. I can do more interesting stuff rather than the more boring stuff. I think you'll be fine. Sure. If on the other hand, you frame that as a threat, oh mm. God, I'm going to lose my job or this is how I make my money and I'm not going to be able to make the money anymore, then I feel sorry for you. Sure. Okay. But let's think in that direction for a second, right? How does a person test their replaceability in their field? Let's say replaceability by AI. So 80% of what you do is replaceable. Mm. Let's be honest. You know, you're going to, you're creating this video and you're going to edit it. Mm. And there are certain of that editing, which I think can be definitely done sure. automatically. So the amount of time you're going to have to spend on the routine edits will mm -hmm. go down. So what's going to happen? Your time spending on the routine edits will go down. So then you can add much more flavor of creativity to whatever it is. So the boring stuff will go away. And then typically what will happen is there will be 10 or 20% of the guys who are at the cutting edge who will then outsource the boring stuff. Today, you outsource it to a virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, they'll outsource it to an ML or algorithm or whatever else. And then they'll focus on doing all the stuff which no one else can do. And I think sure. that's the stuff you need to understand. And algorithms, by definition, I think can't be creative and they can't be innovative. Algorithms are great at pruning stuff away hmm. and telling you this is not going to work. This is not going to work, which is great. But they can't really tell you what's going to work. You still need a certain bit of... I might disagree. Of course, that. please do. I, you know, like I said, I still haven't sure. started asking you questions, but I'd be very disappointed sure. if you didn't disagree didn't with me. Disagree. Okay, disagree please. with me. One. Let's sure. it out. Okay. Algorithms cannot be creative. Okay, let's, let's sort of start from creativity, right? So I have a general notion of what creativity is. I want to hear it from you first and I'll sort of tell you my notion. What do you think is creativity? I think in a way you've done something which didn't exist before. So I see where you're coming from. Mm. You're basically going to say, but they're going to algorithms like DALI, mm -hmm. which are creating stuff which didn't exist before. So to that extent, perhaps a DALI algorithm is creative. Or you're going to talk about all these AI algorithms, which mm. actually will create memes for you and will create, you know, in inverted commas, sure. original text. Mm. But let's be honest, what are they doing? They're mixing and matching. They're creating a mashup of pre-existing stuff. That's how. That's what humans are doing too. Right? That's, yeah, fab. So mm. can you make money doing it? Yes, of course. Sure. That's how all mm -hmm. of 
Bollywood did. What did you do? You'd watch a Hollywood film and then take sure. a retake. And can you make money of it? Yes. But is that necessarily my idea of creativity? Yes. I think you'll get away with it. Sure. So your bar for in inverted commas creativity today is very low. Mm. 30 years ago, what? Because no one traveled abroad. You were a director. You would go abroad, watch a Hollywood film and come back and make it say, wow, such an original thing. I would take people five years to realize there was just a retake of another Hollywood film. Today, all that has gone away. So mm. I think, again, it depends on what your definition of creativity yeah. is. And if your definition of creativity is doing something by creating something which didn't exist before by creating a mashup, the word is creating a mashup, yeah, then I think fine, algorithms yeah. will do that well. I'm not necessarily sure that I would perhaps go a little further than that. No, because the thing is, the way humans create, it's sim sim simple. Let's take an artist. He's maybe painting a painting of, let's say, a sad girl in a train with rain, let's say. The artist will have his own anecdotes, his own feelings, his own whatever movies he's watched, and he'll sort of push it out on a canvas. That's exactly what even Dali is doing, right? The, the, the anecdotal evidence for Dali is the entire internet. Perfect. That's, so let me interrupt yeah. you. Yeah, sure, sure. What you're effectively saying is there is nothing new under the sun. Yes. And everything is a mashup of ah. something else. Mm -hmm. And in a human being, it's a mashup of that individual's experiences. Mm. And in an algorithm, it's a mashup of whatever data you choose to feed the algorithm. Mm, sure. And that I completely grant you. Again, my limited point is that you're underestimating the power of the brain mm. and the brain to come up with stuff which has never been thought of before. Which, whether you like it or not, I think algorithms have that constraint because algorithms sure. are created by humans. The human brain wasn't created by a human. And mm. therefore, I think it's possible for a human brain to come up with stuff which an algorithm can't come up with. Wow. That's okay. my hypothesis. Uh, I think you know, it's, it's very mean, sector specific. Right? Let's say if we take art, I think AI has sort of disrupted that field. If we take music, AI has disrupted all fields. Oh, yeah, all and fields. AI has disrupted even the way you screen for drugs. You know, so you're using a particular way of doing it. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Sure. As long as you're sensible and you understand that you're using that AI as a tool to get hmm. to what you want to. Sure. To be able to achieve. And will that AI increase your efficiency to do that? Most probably, yes. Because it will tell you, okay, these are the things perhaps you shouldn't be wasting time on. Or these are things you should look at a little more closely. Sure. Of course. So that's I true. honestly think that as one more tool in your arsenal, which mm. you need to learn to use cleverly. And that's exciting. You know, I can't draw a straight line, but I mm. can use Dali. Sure. Okay. So in what all circumstances is the human the brain like absolute? How, let me frame it in a better way. In, in what all circumstances is the human brain let's say better than the AI algorithm in what, in what, in what. So again, I think if you're talking about all the fairly low hanging fruit, like how do you paint a particular picture or how do you write a particular meme or create a tweet mm -hmm. or okay. do a mm -hmm. post? I don't think, you know, humans necessarily have too much of an edge because over time, these algorithms are going to get smarter and they'll be able to tell you this particular tweet had so many likes, this, that, but that's not the way humans necessarily think. Mm. And that's why you create something, not because an algorithm told you, you know, you put these four things together and this is how you sure. do it. And this is what, whether it's Tweet Hunter or whether it's Hyper Fury mm -hmm. will teach you as far as tweets go. This is a higher probability of going viral. But you know what? The reality is no one really knows. We use frameworks. Mm, sure. You know, we understand you need to create stuff which is novel. You need to create stuff which gives people a dopamine kick. But I still don't think you can engineer that very efficiently mm. yet. Interesting. Have you tried Dali yet? Yes. 
Wow. So it was fun to try. Okay. And like I said, I'm happy. Will I continue using it? Mostly not. Mm-hmm. I don't have many use applications. So it's useful for me to know this is available. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's going to keep on increasing over time. But honestly, for me, I'd rather get someone to use Dali. Oh, okay. Rather than mm-hmm. do Fair. it myself. You know what? It sort of increases one more job in, in a sense. Fair. Yeah. And all these no. things have learning curves. Mm-hmm. And do I want to spend the time learning Very that Dali. tool? No. Mm-hmm. So by I'm okay with hiring someone else who spent a lot of time learning that yeah. tool, whether it's Canva, whether it's Dali, whether it's, you know, each of these things. And I think that's a more efficient use of my time. And that's when I talk to you about using humans in the loop. So in that mm. sense, I'm using an assistant mm. who's an expert on using Dali, which I never will be. and I don't even want to mm. be. And then I can come up with something which meets my ends. Interesting. Awesome. Okay. I missed a topic in the VC field, which sort of came into my mind randomly. Okay. So as an investor, what is a general notion about the current Web3 situation happening? Do you think it's 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 going to work or do you think it's just a facade? Because I've seen both sides of the picture. A lot of people did not like Web3 and they're saying it's just it's just a gimmick. It's, it's not going to work. Whereas the other ones are like, it's, it's a good piece of technology. I think it's very good when views are so polarized yeah, exactly. because the truth lies in the middle. Mm. And I think that's fine. Uh, no one really knows. The future is uncertain. The future is unpredictable. Now, if I make a balanced opinion and say, you know, we don't know, then no one really cares. Sure. Whereas if I make a very extreme opinion, this is crap, then obviously that's going to get yeah. featured in the press. But if I say this is the best thing since mother's milk, then that's what the media will pick up. So everyone's playing a game. Just understand mm. that. And I think that's fine. And we've learned over the past that some things work out the way we expect them to. Some things don't. I think it's going to be very useful as a platform. I honestly believe that. And again, it's the same thing at crypto versus uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so as long as you understand that mm. the blockchain is not going to go away anywhere, that's going to mm. power a lot of things that you're going to do in the past. And I think the same thing is going to be true for the metaverse. If your question is then, are you able to identify the winners in the space? Because what does a VC care about metaverse as sure. an abstraction? I want to know which is the startup in this metaverse universe, which is going to make money. Mm. I don't think any VC has the right to be able to say, I it's can identify that. Let's explore the metaverse ever like very very VR Yes, of so, course. I have an Oculus. Wow. I think that's the. Yeah, do, you play, do you play games? Like, no, I tried. Yeah, maybe. Like I keep on telling you, I am a bit of a digital dinosaur, and you know stuff like that. And and I think there's a lot of scope for it to improve. Sure. And if at some point you know the headsets are bulky and the, this thing, and I think there's a lot of scope for the hardware to improve and the software to improve. But I'm very optimistic it will, because I think every technological problem has a technological solution. Just a question of finding it. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm quite happy using an Oculus because I Mm -hmm. understand what its limitations are today. So when someone comes up with something new, I'd say, yes, that is a big step forward. And therefore that makes sense. I'm quite happy to play with a lot of the stuff. But I, you know, I'd be very excited about haptic suits, for example, because then that just makes the immersion so much better. But the haptic suits are clumsy and hot, you know, stuff like that. So we'll get there. I'm pretty sure about that. It's it's interesting how it will sort of change the realms of reality, right? I'm sure in a couple of years. Do we actually live in reality? Sorry, deep philosophical question and we won't go there. We won't go go there there, right now. No, no, let's let's not. All all I'm trying to say is that who knows? Mm. And I think at some point, you know, if you find your reality in a world which other people don't think of as reality because, hey, you happen to be schizophrenic or you happen to be, you know, what difference does it make? I think all of us should optimize for happiness more than anything else. But that's again my opinion. But is it my chance to ask you some questions? Go for it. So I find it very interesting that on one hand, you're appearing for an engineering exam Mm -hmm. in order to become an engineer, which I think is 
an obsolete curriculum with an obsolete set of skills, which, you know, I don't even know why you'd bother. Mm -hmm. And yet you're smart enough to say, hey, I want to create a podcast. Mm -hmm. And therefore you're learning real life skills, which I think are going to be invaluable to you and your employer if you choose to be employed or your startup if you choose to be an entrepreneur because you're getting to engage with real world. Sure. You're learning skills like how to create podcasts and how to do video recording and audio recording. So I'm not sure why you're even wasting your time doing that engineering degree. Okay, so it's it's more of a safety net which my parents think it is. And you know, when yeah. Cortez invaded, uh, uh, the first thing he did is he burnt his boats because sure. he didn't want to create a safety net for his troops. So, you know, the trouble with trying to live between two stools is you mostly end up messing up both. And I agree with it. Whereas it's sort of more for peace of mind. I'm doing such a good job at doing this that, that four years in engineering college, listening to professors who are going to be lecturing from notes they prepared five years sure. ago. Yeah. I know mostly know a lot less about AR and VR than I do because now that stuff is in the syllabus is a distraction and is irrelevant. So why do you want mm -hmm. me to waste four years of my life I agree. when I, agree. I could be doing a much better job learning from the real world? You're not very persuasive. Disappointing. I agree with that. I agree. But what I think is it will also give me sort of a platform where I can interact with more technology. Um, because savvy. you're an engineer? No, no, Did no. I ask you what you're what difference I mean? No, no, so no. how does big yeah. So how does being an engineer give you the right to talk to other tech savvy people? Is this Talking to tech savvy people right? just shows sorry. It's almost like a community type situation which will be given to me. And I'm sure that's very replaceable. I agree. I've been on digital platforms in the past two years and I know how it works. Yeah, so why are you wasting time sitting in a classroom doing boring stuff which you already know? You can't hmm. pick your syllabus. You can't pick and choose what problem you want to solve. You're forced to do what your teacher tells you. You're ahead of the rest of the class, but the teacher has to focus on the slowest people in the class. Mm -hmm. You're ending up wasting so much time commuting, paying fees. You're forgetting about the opportunity cost. I agree. I agree. I don't you're saying you agree, but you're still doing it. Okay. I don't understand you, but fine. I'm very disappointed that this is wow. what the younger generation is doing. When the younger generation has so many more sure. opportunities than we ever did. I mean, the internet has changed mm -hmm. the world. You're not going to be inferior to a Stanford MBA or a Stanford sure. B.Tech or anything else. And you still refuse to take advantage of these opportunities by locking yourself up voluntarily in a classroom, listening to dinosaurs. We're going to teach you stuff they've been teaching you for the last hey good for you what can i say no, i'm disappointed and obviously with the advent of internet i have more opportunities too so it's obviously it'll be so this is like i want to have my cake and eat it too and best of luck with that oh, right. because there'll be smarter guys than you who will say you know what i really don't care about all this rubbish about going to college so at the end of four years guess where you will be and guess where they will be but serves you right for trying to create safety nets okay go ahead sure okay so awesome okay so let's uh Move on to the next question, which is the Web3 space again. Okay. So, okay, wait, I sort of blanked out. Once That's okay. I can, I can remind you. I think you're waiting to come to the meaty part is, you know, what do I oh, hate yeah, about yeah. Baijus and why do I hate them so much? And I don't hate them. Let's be honest. You know, you know, let's, you know, so I think you need to step back and you need to understand. I have a lot of respect and regards for the founder. He's done something which is exceptionally hard to do and to create such a large startup from scratch is not easy. I have nothing against his being extremely wealthy. What are the things I have something against? And I've been extremely articulate about that. And the biggest problem is the moment you say anything, the first thing is people say, oh, you're, you're jealous. You missed an opportunity to invest in him. That's why it gives you heartburn. Or you have, you've invested in competing startups who aren't doing as well as Baiju's, all that rubbish. And I need to tell them, you know what, none of that is true at all. What have I objected to? And I've been very clear about my objections. 
One is the toxic work culture, which means you're forcing young engineering graduates, or well, not even engineer, any graduate who's the first job you're giving them, you're forcing them to miss sell. And you're forcing them to miss sell just in order to earn a salary. So imagine what you're teaching them. I mean, their whole worldview is now got completely skewed is that anything is okay. You can sell your soul to the devil. Anything is okay as long as you earn enough money and sure. meet your revenue targets. Because, you know, you don't meet your revenue targets, you won't have a job. 100%. So I think that entire toxic work culture, and, you know, let's be honest, work culture comes from top down. Mm. And you can't, they can't pretend that that work culture is not toxic, but they choose to do that all the time. Mm. So that's one thing which bothers me. Sure. You cannot create a healthy company with a toxic work culture, plain and simple. 100%. I think the second thing which bothers me is their mis-selling. And they're so aggressive about them and they're so shameless about them mis-selling. And that again bothers me. And you actually have an SOP which survives on go to the parent's house and show the parent that your kid is an idiot and your kid is a doofus and your kid will never do well unless he pays for a Baiju's app. Sure. Which again is completely wrong. Kid in Maybe I should yeah. be spending more time asking you questions because mm -hmm. I had a high opinion of you. Now my opinion of you has dropped dramatically. Yeah, because I Sorry, I apologize. No, no, I'm just teasing you. Don't worry yeah, about it. But we'll come back yeah. to that. Yeah, but but mm -hmm. so again, so I think they're manipulating people. Mm -hmm. You're manipulating parents, FOMO, ignorance, gullibility, emotional vulnerability. I hate people who manipulate stuff. So that's mm -hmm. that second set of things. I think the third set of things is, I think basically the entire system of coaching and tuitions is completely wrong from the base, from the from the foundation, from the ground mm. up. Because all these guys do is teach you how to score marks in an exam. Mm. But scoring more marks in an exam is not the end goal of education, sure. is not the end goal of learning. But everything has got so skewed up. And you'll say, but you know, why are you blaming on Baiju's? Uh, you know, Alan does that, Akash does that, Unacademy does that, all of Kota does that. But just because they do that doesn't make what Baiju's do, right? Sure. You say, oh, you're responding to a market need, but you created that market need. You could have taken the higher ground morally because you'd raised so much money. You could have actually transformed the entire system and told people these are what your learning outcomes should be. Forget about doing all that. You've actually gone and sold out and you've effectively trapped poor families into educational debt, which they're stuck in for the next two years, three years, four years, without a conscience at all. And because you messed up the system, all the other second number players and third players have been forced to follow in your footsteps, which means this has become the default, which means there was such a huge opportunity. You could have been the next Khan Academy. Sure. You could have actually explained what online learning is all about, that we're bringing the world's best teachers to your house. So your kid can learn whatever he wants to learn. You don't need to waste time about exams and marks or whatever else. And instead of doing that, what have you done? You've ended up creating more cramming, more tuitions. You've actually infantilized all these students. They're so mentally dependent. You know, you talk to a medical college professors, medical students can't think for themselves. Because they're taking tuitions, they're taking Baiju's from the 7, then they're mm -hmm. taking something else from the 10, then they're doing some other NEET, sure. and they're taking some, now they're taking tuitions even for passing all these medical coaching exams. Mm -hmm. They never had a single original thought. All they know is how to answer MCQs. Sure. So that's the next generation of citizens we're creating, which is terrible. India has such a huge opportunity to be a world leader because we're in a demographic sweet spot.
Hmm. We have an entire generation of kids like you, 20 years old, 25 years old. These don't exist in Japan. They don't exist hmm. in the US. It's a no. huge opportunity. And no algorithm can displace these guys. Let me tell you so, that. If you uh, create smart enough guys, they will leverage these algorithms to change the world for the better. You've destroyed human capital. And that's one thing I won't forgive by Jews for. And that bothers me. So people say, Tera kya jata hai? what do you care about? You know, your kids are grown up. Hmm. Why? I said, what upsets me is that you don't care about it. Hmm. That you're so indifferent to the harm which is being done to these poor students and these poor families. And you're turning a blind eye because it doesn't affect you. But you know what? It does affect you. Sure. It will harm you because tomorrow when you're 35 and you go to a doctor and this is a doctor who's been brought up on Baiju's apps and MCQs, sure. will he be able to figure out the problem? Absolutely not. Because, mm -hmm. hey, this did appear in the MCQ. So I don't know what to do. Serves you right. Okay, so what is the effective framework to learn anything? So with that said, like MCQs are not the way to go. Cramming is not the way to go. So, how so do any you... exam yeah. which you can find the answers in on Google is a terrible exam. Yeah. It's a lazy teacher's exam because a lay teacher couldn't be bothered to do any better. So they've just picked up questions which appeared from the exam paper five years ago, three years And teachers are stuck. Because yeah. if you don't frame those questions, the first thing the parents will come and say, Ye to syllabus mein nahi tha, to tumne humko kyun pucha? Yeah, yeah. The stupid teachers, then the teacher will get a whacking from the principal and will mostly lose their job. So again, it's an entire system. It's a wicked problem. Mm -hmm. So to answer your questions, I think the future is what I call nano schools or community-based learning pods. Mm -hmm. Let me explain what that means. Yeah. Yes, these are cohort-based courses, but real life. Uh, Let me explain. Mm -hmm. I think you need four things in order to learn anything. Sure. A, you need intrinsic motivation. You need a kid who wants to learn about that topic. If that sure. kid doesn't want to learn history, then forcing him to cram history is not going to teach him history. You will, you know, make him, he'll promptly forget everything else. So just covering more content doesn't mean he will retain any of it. Sure. So it's got to be intrinsic motivation with a growth mindset. Yes, I can master any topic I want to. Intrinsic motivation is not enough. It also needs adult supervision. Mm. Let's be honest. Kids are kids. You know, you give them a chance, they'd rather be spending time on video games. Now, nothing against video games. I think video games are very powerful and helpful. Sure. I'll come back to that. But <clears throat> I think a certain amount of adult supervision helps to keep kids on track. Sort of to direction. The yes, plan. yes, yes. So, so that, you know, in that this thing. And mm -hmm. so adult supervision could be ideally provided by a parent who chooses to stay at home, not just for their own kids. Mm is a parent who's choosing to stay at home because they want to spend quality time with their own kids, but who also has enough spare time to say, you know what, I'm happy to do this for the kids of people in the neighborhood. Sure. So that's adult supervision. Mm -hmm. What people often mess up is, oh, but I don't understand algebra and I've forgotten all the calculus which was taught to me and you forgot it because it was taught to you in school mm -hmm. and you had to cram it and that's why you forgot it, not because you fell in love with it, mm -hmm. but you don't need to teach it. Sure. Homeschoolers don't learn anything from their parents. They learn discipline. Mm. They learn how to learn and I'll come back to that. But they don't learn the academic subject. Why not? Because the world's best teachers are already available online. Sure. Whether it's YouTube University, whether it's Twitter or whatever else. And a lot of them are available free. And you want to pay, then you'll get lots of courses on Udemy or whatever else, which is just 500, 600 rupees. Sure, sure, sure. So you can easily find these guys. So A, you have access to the world's best teachers who all come to you online in your own house. Sure. You have the adult supervision, you have mm -hmm. the intrinsic one. And the last thing is peer-to-peer -peer learning, which mm -hmm. means you need to put a group of kids together, different ages, different interests. That's when the magic occurs. So if you have an 11-year-old who loves algebra 
His ability to teach an eight-year-old who's math-phobic is brilliant. It's going to be far better than a school teacher's. You know, there's a generation gap. There's this authority gradient. You're scared to tell your teacher, I didn't understand. Teachers get irritated when you tell them you don't understand. You're an idiot. You're a doofus. You're a dunce. Go do your homework or, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of rubbish. Whereas an 11-year-old is much more respectful of an 8-year-old because he remembers what it's like to be an 8-year-old. He remembers what it's like not to understand. So he will use a language which that kid understands. So I think that learning gap is the right way. And every time you teach someone, that 11-year-old will learn a lot more algebra because he thought he knew it. But the 8-year-old will ask him a question. You know what? That's interesting. I really don't know the answer. I need to go back to first principles. Okay. I need to go to YouTube and find out what oh. this is. Or I'll, let me ask this algebra professor in Stanford. You know, this was the question. Does this make sense? So many things. The world is your oyster. And the tragedy is you choose to lock yourself up in the classroom within four walls where all you're taught is obedience, mm -hmm. uh, subservience, ask for permission to talk, ask for permission to go to the bathroom. Hey, 45 minutes are up. This chapter subject is now over yeah. because hey it was really getting interesting but you know what the next teacher needs to come in I mean, no one ever learns in yeah. real life like that uh, but, but that's all we think is mm -hmm. the, the tragedy is we think that's the norm we think that's the way that's the way i learned that's mm -hmm. not the way you learned that's the way you were taught you had to unlearn everything and then you had to relearn everything sure. and the commonest thing is which I'm fed up of listening to is, oh, but how will my kid learn social skills sitting at home? And what you forget is school doesn't teach you social skills. Oh. What does teach school teach you? It's a completely artificial environment. It's a bubble. It teaches you how to get along with a handful of kids the same age, some of whom will bully you, some of whom you will get bullied by. Okay. Pretty much similar socioeconomic status. You speak the same language and everything else. So it's, it just teaches you how to get along with a group of kids. So you say, oh, but my best friends were my school friends. But that's because you were trapped with them for 12 years. If I trap you with anyone for 12 years, obviously some of them will become your best friends. Hmm. Some of them will also become your worst enemies. But obviously you won't stay in touch with them anymore. So you'll conveniently forget about all your miserable times. Sure. Because our brain obviously distorts the truth and, you know, you have this rosy picture. So school doesn't teach you social skills. Let's be honest. Especially how does sitting in a classroom listening to a teacher teach sure. you social skills? You learn your social skills in the school bus. You learn your social skills playing games. You learn your social skills during recess, which is actually taking time out from schooling to learn those social skills. And you know what homeschooling does? Homeschooling doesn't lock you up at home. That's mm. such a ridiculous idea. The problem is people equate homeschooling with online learning with COVID. Mm. So yeah. all they think about homeschooling is my child was sitting online screen and didn't That's not homeschooling. Give me a break. Homeschooling allows you to do what you want. So and anything a school teaches you within eight hours, a kid can pick up within a couple of hours. Trust okay. me about this. Okay. So forget about the academics. Mm. But it teaches you to go out in the real world. It teaches you to deal with adults, it teaches you to deal with other people, it teaches you to deal with entire diversity of people whom otherwise you would never get exposure to. You learn to respect them, you learn to understand what their worldview is. They have skill sets which, you know, your plumber will teach you a lot more about stuff sure. than, you know, uh, your plumber will teach you more about the physics of fluid flow than your physics textbook will. But, you know, because there is a price to pay if he doesn't. He may not be yeah. able to articulate, articulate Bernoulli's oh you know, theorem yeah. and stuff. Well, yeah. but he has to live with those consequences. So that's all I'm trying to say.
I have been in a part of a similar community which you're talking about. So do you do you know Avalon Meta by any chance? Yes, of course. Sure. So I've I was I was in the Discord server when they started. Perfect. And that's where I learned design. And I, I, the way it was, it was just a drop-in audit. I'm sure you know Discord, right? Just a drop-in audit situation at every day at like 10 p.m. at night. People used to come in. They used to design random stuff, like a random poster, and then the best of the best designers would tell, "Okay, I'm using this tool here and not this one because you know th- this is the reason why." And that's where I learned most of my basics of design, and that too all for free. And I think most the the biggest problem is the will to learn. If if no one wants to learn math and they're teaching them math, it doesn't make sense. Whereas where everyone who wanted to learn design stepped in the drop in order situation and learned it. I think you've described it so well. No school teacher really wants to teach most of the time. Eighty percent don't. Eighty sure. percent of school teachers are mediocre. They're doing it as a job, mm-hmm. so their heart and soul isn't in it. Of course, you will conveniently remember that one outstanding teacher you had in the eighth standard yeah, who sure. told you, you know, made physics come alive for you. But you forget about the ninety-nine other teachers who bored you to death with biology, geography, history, or whatever. Anyway, so let's not go there. So the teachers don't want to be there. The kids don't want to be there. Hmm. No one wants to be there. You're forcing it's a jail. You're forcing them to be there. And you're a great example of people who will want to learn something will pick it up because they want to learn it. Hmm. When you were there in that Avalon Academy Discord, you were in flow so, because you understood what was going on. You were keen. You had questions. You wanted answers. You got answers from authoritative people. You respected them. You trusted them. They wanted to teach you, and you wanted to learn. That's all magical. You know what really bothers me there is after experiencing that you're still willing to lock oh, yourself up for four years in an engineering sure. college. God agree, help you. Agree, what I can agree. I say? Anyway, I good thing. Think about it more after this podcast. This poor guy is saying, "Why the hell did I pick this guy to podcast?" Yeah, this is instead of yeah. instead of my asking him questions, he's giving me yeah, answers. No he's kind of making me challenge my life choices. But you know, even if I do that, I'll be more than happy yeah, because fun. I think sometimes yeah. you need to start from first principles. Sure. We need to say, "I don't necessarily need to do what my dad did." Hmm. Because when my dad was brought up, life was very different. Hmm, sure. All this access to the internet wasn't available. So many other things. And I'm sure if my dad perhaps was 17 years old, then he would not ask me to go to engineering college. He would look at life completely differently. But hmm. again, that's just my assumption. Interesting. Okay. Take a let's jump to your LinkedIn situation. Are you back on LinkedIn? I guess not. You're not back on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm So I, let me give you some backstory about that. I mean, the users know already. Let's just jump in the meat of them. I have multiple questions. Okay, fine. You can. Okay, no, no, we can. So just you know, for all the guys who, okay. you know, I'm not, I'm not as famous as this guy thinks I am. So you know, I was on LinkedIn, enjoyed it, learned a lot, had had a hundred more than a hundred thousand followers, and I was very open and critical because I think the whole point of being independently wealthy is you have a lot of discretionary time. and therefore you can spend time on linkedin and twitter and people often ask me yaar to koi patient dekhta hai ya din bhar social media pe hi rehta hai but that's a different thing but the second thing is that also you have a point of view hmm. and lots of people share that point of view but they can't afford to express it on a public platform sure they will express it after four drinks in you know uh, in a bar hmm. but will they express it no because they can't afford to be politically incorrect but i can and therefore i do and you know are there consequences to that perhaps but i don't really care because at this stage in my life i'm too old to worry about this stuff but to come back to your point so i was openly critical about baiju sir sure. and i wasn't critical for the sake of criticizing hmm. i was actually offering them concrete solutions okay i was saying look your work culture is toxic at least accept the truth and the hr guy got back and ravindran got back and said yes that's true so let me introduce you to my hr guy and said hmm. yes the next step is i said look you have a great opportunity Why don't you create a course with LinkedIn on LinkedIn 
on how to create a healthy work culture. I mean, this would have transformed the way the world looked at Baijus. Is that you care about your employees, you care about work culture, you're not just, you know, here they're just paying lip service, we care, we care, they haven't done anything else. Anyway, so at a point, a lot of Baijus was not just advertising and sponsoring cricket teams and football teams or having Shah Rukh Khan. A lot of it also had to do with online reputation management. Hmm. What does that mean? It means anytime anyone says anything critical about Baijus, you silence them. Hmm. How do you silence them? If someone puts up a YouTube video which says anything bad about get someone and get it off. Uh -huh. You use some copyright, some rubbish kind of yeah. thing and you got it off. Very easy and to exploit. Very easy. Any used to be, not anymore. Still, still. Things that... A bit okay, fair, anyway, a bit. Things that changed because uh -huh. I think they've also realized that uh -huh. anyway. So, uh, so that was a problem. So these online reputation guys would keep on doing that. So I was fairly openly critical and mm -hmm. said this is not right. So two things happened. So basically, obviously, Baijus is a big advertiser on LinkedIn because mm -hmm. they have so much churn. They keep on advertising for new guys all the time. So then effectively, they nudged LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, can you get this guy off? Now, that's never going to be documented anywhere. Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn said, notice, you know, are you going to stop? So I said, tell me what am I doing wrong? So one line saying, basically, these are the following posts where you've been critical on Baijus. We don't think this is community friendly. We don't think you're living by the terms of the agreement you signed up when you came joint LinkedIn and therefore we're kicking you out. Mm -hmm. So I said, I don't think that's fair for the following reasons. I haven't said any lies, whatever else it is. I'm trying to achieve a goal. So I want a hearing. So we don't think we, you deserve a hearing. So I said, fine, who do I escalate this to? So go sue us in the U.S. So I said, why should I sue you in the U.S.? I'm an Indian customer. I pay mm -hmm. you Indian fees. Sure. You're an Indian company. You have Indian employees. You pay Indian taxes. Why shouldn't I sue you in India? Since this is LinkedIn US. LinkedIn India is just a dummy or a back off or whatever else silly excuse they use. And therefore we don't, now, suing in the US is very hard and very expensive. So that's the trick they used sure. to stop people from suing them. So we finally sued them in Mumbai High Court. The case is coming up for hearing, I think on the 11th. Wow. And effectively what we're saying is these guys cannot trample on our rights. LinkedIn is saying we're a private platform. We can do what we like. Hmm. But it's the reality, social media has also now become a public space where citizens right. get a choice to voice their opinion. You cannot censor this information. Sure. I think enough of that's already been proven with Twitter, sure. yeah. with LinkedIn, with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's becoming increasingly important. And effectively, so a lot of people say, you have no other work except to get sued and to sue other people in court. And actually, that's not true either. But you learn a lot by, uh, you know, filing some of I these cases. Sure. So I think that's been interesting. And, you know, what do I care in my individual capacity? Whether I'm on LinkedIn or not, is it going to make a material difference to my life? No. But if it helps to stop LinkedIn from kicking someone else out just because they expressed an opinion which LinkedIn didn't like, and the same thing for Twitter or whatever else, I'll be happy. My goal will have been met. And let's be honest, if people like me don't fight Who these corporate the, behemoths, mm -hmm. you know, I'm well off, I'm old now. You know, if you were on LinkedIn and you needed a job, you wouldn't be able to fight LinkedIn. Sure, 100%. I'm not on that situation. So I think I need to stand up for some of this stuff. So that's the LinkedIn saga. We also have cases going on in Delhi High Court mm -hmm. where one of the Baiju's guys called Whitehead Jr. at that ah. time sued me for defaming them. So that's going on. So lots I, of I watched a podcast on the backstage with millionaires. Yeah. So it's okay. It's lots it's of always, lots yeah. lots of interesting stuff happening, and that's fine. You learn you learn about how inefficient our judiciary is. Mm. You learn about how long it takes to actually get anything resolved. You learn about how stressful it is to wait for the next date and the next date. You learn about what games lawyers play. 
when they don't want the next hearing to come up all right it's sad that's like okay okay so do you think a decentralized platform can exist let's say for social media where everybody has freedom of speech let's see what elon musk has exactly. getting that getting that i don't know i i don't know enough honestly i think it's possible so one of these guys i don't know whether you read this called network state no mm. uh, so maybe i've heard of it like basically so maybe maybe you should so i mm. think that's basically you know it's not even just free speech it's how do you create an entire country based on a network where people choose to opt in again very complex it's it's a free book on the website so just google it but i think it's possible i think we need to reinvent a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. and i think the reality is we have the tools to be able to do that which of these will play out how they will play out because don't forget you don't operate in a vacuum mm. there is going to be a response and a reaction from the existing interests who are not necessarily going to be very happy so there will be an immune response and i don't think the regulator is going to be happy with some of this stuff and existing players are going to push back so all these things take time to play out interesting okay so let's take free speech into consideration right so there are multiple reasons why they can't give absolute free speech there are multiple examples for them so do you think there's do you think the report system on social media is strong enough to sort of silence people who are actually making chaos like let's say if you if you remember uh, during covid there was one uh, uh doc- not who was an actor pretending to a doc- to be a doctor saying that vaccines are bad i mean i'm i'm nowhere in the position to say ki you know vaccine is good or bad because i'm still 17 i'm still learning but what do you think about like when people should i think when people have an opinion uh-huh. and they're willing to explain what their opinion is hmm. without hating anyone else or without so i think there's certain things you draw the line at Mm-hmm. so you don't want to allow abuse you don't want to allow violence you don't want to allow sure. pol- you know stuff like that mm-hmm. but i think within that none of us has a monopoly on knowledge so if someone is willing to say something and is willing to say, the trouble is that effectively twitter said we will only allow stuff which the governments approve of and it may oh. take you 10 years to realize you know the sure. governments were all idiots mm-hmm. they didn't know any better but they didn't have a choice in the matter because they had to show that they were doing something which is why they rolled all this stuff out and all of us were taken for a ride and you know even if we were taken for a ride the truth will be suppressed for so long that perhaps you'll never know so i'm a big believer in allowing everyone to express their opinion as long as you have certain boundaries of decency sure and you know don't hurt anyone else stuff like that i don't really see a problem uh, you know i think i'm perfectly okay with people disagreeing with me but i'm mm-hmm. saying disagree but be polite about it there's no need to call me names there's no need to create ad hominem attacks sure you know sure. we'll we'll dis Okay. disagree but respectfully okay. is that okay sure here's an here's so, an idea sure let's say let's say for just medical uh, knowledge if anyone wants to put it out on twitter or on instagram or do you think there should be like a verified some sort of a verification situation where only a person some form <sighs> very tricky be- very tricky you know first order oh that sounds like a great idea think about the second order consequences hmm. what does that mean it means everything will be subjected to peer review who are your peers going to be all the old dinosaurs like me uh, who think in a particular way sure. which means anyone who comes up with something which is dramatically different i don't know whether you know these stories of semmelweis who first introduced hand washing in order to prevent okay. bacterial mm-hmm. infection so he was ostracized by the medical community in his age because effectively what was he saying is that doctors were carrying death on their hands mm. and unless you wash those bacteria patients would die and that's obviously not something which doctors were happy to listen to all i'm trying to say is everything has second order consequences so sure. so don't just go for low ah uh, this is the right way of doing things hmm. i'm not saying peer review is bad i'm just saying that peer review has its own sets of complexities just understand that hmm. i think the secret is to look for positive deviants and successful models like wikipedia 
Is Wikipedia perfect? Of course it's not perfect. Is it better than the Encyclopedia Britannica? Of course it's better. So I think that's fine. Understand that there will be some collateral damage. Understand that there will be issues with some of this stuff. But honestly, I think that's far better than having a central dictatorial saying, you know, we know what's right and we're going to tell you what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. And effectively, peer review does that. And you know, the trouble with peer review in medical journals is it's all sold out because it's bought by pharma companies. Mm. So tomorrow, if you came up with a medical journal article which said this drug doesn't work, then the peer reviewers, all of whom get money from pharma companies and say, don't allow that article to be... I'm sorry. You know, I, I have, wish life was I, so simple. I have, but a, it's I have a personal question here. So I I have this habit of finding research papers in PubMed and good. pirating those on Scion. I strongly approve. Is it a good thing or bad thing? Absolutely, you said peer review, uh, peer review I think it's... Like so wait, as long as you understand. Okay. So, you know, the first thing you should look at when you see a medical journal or any journal article is what? Every time you read an article, what's mm -hmm. the first thing you should look at? I mean, is it from a verified source? Or the person who wrote it was verified? If it's, I mean, if you're talking about research, if is it peer Who funds it? Ah, okay. Always okay. follow okay. the money. Hmm. So just because it comes from Harvard Medical School doesn't mean anything. Hmm. If that Harvard Medical School prof was funded by Merck to do that particular study. And I think once you, so learn to be skeptical. I'm not hmm. saying be cynical, but learn to so, be skeptical. And I think if you are, you'll be able to triangulate and you'll be able to make a lot more sense about what's happening. Which it will come to time with more research papers and study and figure out. And I think what will happen is actively seek okay. out hmm. contrarian points of view. That's extremely important. Because if someone has a contrarian point of view is willing to publish it, it's a very high chance he's right. Hmm. Because even though he's in the minority and he knows he's going to get a lot of flack from the majority and he still has the guts to say something, there's a very high chance that what he's saying has a grain of truth in it. So again, you know, none of this is rocket science. I think it's just, some of it is just applied critical thinking. And that's true whether it's law, whether it's medicine, or whether it's anything else. So you don't have to think, oh, my doctor has two heads and two brains, and therefore he's smarter than mm -hmm. me, and therefore I need to defer to everything he's saying. He's probably been so brainwashed by his medical college and all his training that what he practices is eminence-based medicine, not evidence-based medicine. Mm. So he will cherry-pick and selectively remember some stuff and stuff like that. But, you know, you need to own your own decisions in partnership with your doctor. Mm -hmm. But that doctor needs to earn your trust. Sure. Don't just give it away. Awesome. Okay, so I have one other question. Uh, I think I heard this on some of your podcasts. I'm not sure which one. But you said whenever you want to fix something or change something, you should start from uh, bottom up and not top Absolutely. down. Uh, can you elaborate on that more? Like, why, that I think it's straightforward enough hmm. because you know all of us want to create a huge impact. We want to make policy decisions and hmm. stuff. But how do you make decisions from top down? Suppose you were Prime Minister Modi. What would you do? You would have to talk to guys in your Niti Aayog. You would have you would have to talk to maybe a handful of people, maybe five, who are influenced by another 50. But the reality is they all think in a particular way. Hmm. If they didn't think in that particular way, they most likely wouldn't be there because you would have fired them a long time ago. Sure. So therefore, you're going to get a very skewed opinion. And you don't even realize it's skewed because you're blissfully unaware living in your ivory tongue. Hmm. Whereas if you did, what does bottom up mean? It means you're allowing people to run lots of low-cost frugal experiments, affordable failure. Hmm. And then you're waiting to see what real life tells you. And it's only real life lessons which are going to teach you. So if I had to draft a national education policy, I would hmm. definitely not say, hey, you know, where all the professors where all the academicians, where all the educators, we've talked to all the top 100 principals, because by the time he's become a principal of a school, he's been so brainwashed into thinking in a particular way that he can't think any other way. So therefore, you're going to be a very, come up with a very skewed policy. Sure. 
Whereas if you said, you know what, I'm going to give grants of 10 lakhs hmm. to these 100 people. This is how I'm going to identify these 100 people. I'm going to sure. do a bottom up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask students to identify them. I'm going to ask parents to identify them and let them come up with whatever they wanted to. And then we'll see at the end of a couple of years who learns what. We'll check learning outcomes. Sure. That's called an A-B split test. That's called a controlled clinical trial. You're doing control, and this is well described in economics. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to find out what works. The trouble is, it'll never happen. Is it, is it because it's not feasible? Because it sounds like it's not. It, it sounds like it's very feasible. Because it's, it is feasible. Of course. Of there's too much money to be so made in why isn't that sticking with. Yet? But there's too much money to be made with the status quo. There's too much inertia. Yeah. Why would a 60-year-old IAS officer want to try out any of this stuff? Mm-hmm. What does he care? Okay. His he thinks in a particular way, and he knows he's right. He's an IAS officer, boss. Sure. He's you know he knows more than anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. So why should he be willing to listen to some 30-year-old village school teacher who's devised a clever method of being able to teach kids maths? What is a village school teacher going to teach me, which I don't already know? Sure. Do you think it's like more of a leadership problem? You think we should elect like better leaders to form policies? And, okay, we're going you know, by, no, we are going haywire. Yeah. And by definition, who is the kind of person who's going to stand for election? You have to be a bit of a narcissist. You have to be a bit arrogant. You have to, so many things. So forget about that. That's not good. Should we start wrapping up? Yeah, I guess like, oh my God. Okay, let's jump to the last segment. So the segment is fairly personal. Uh, I'm turning 18 next year. So do you, do you have anything tell me like before I become an adult? I, I think you're already an adult. And I think it makes no sense to me that you treat 17 years old as immature or this thing, you know, I'm sure you're more mature than a lot of 30-year-old adults. Hmm. And I wouldn't even treat a five-year-old as a kid. Hmm. In the sense, a five-year-old has a particular way of thinking and has certain yeah. limitations, but that doesn't mean that, you know, he's less capable of thinking intelligently as an adult. So that none of that makes any sense to me. I would say what you're doing is right. I would say learn for yourself. You've got to create a lot of your environment for yourself. Don't expect someone else to do it for you. Hmm. You know, people want ready-made jobs and ready-made tuition classes and ready-made this, that, and the other. And I think that's a loser's mentality. And the whole point is that's a created economy. You have the freedom, you have the flexibility, you have the ability to create stuff. And if you create stuff for yourself, you'll mostly lead a much happier life rather than live from paycheck to paycheck. So Awesome. Okay, last piece of advice for the Gen Z listeners right now. From let's say let's say sixty years, what do you think? What do you want to say to them? Like three pieces of advice. This is a very cliche question, I know, but it's. Good well, I I think you know again. I think it's mm. a, it's a, I think you're so fortunate to be Gen Z. Mm. You're so fortunate to be an Indian Gen Z. Honestly, mm. I believe that because I think the way this country is going, the amount the infrastructure is improving. I think the number of handicaps we have has become significantly less. Uh, I think we've reached a sweet spot. Sure. But to convert that potential sweet spot into reality stuff, which only we guys are messed up, hmm. you know, for whatever reason, maybe we had our own limitations, we didn't have the same opportunity, or whatever else it may be. But I think in this day and age, if you don't mess up, I think, uh, you know, uh, India would be the country where everyone wants to come to, mm-hmm. rather than the country where everyone wants to leave and go to this thing, which I sure. think is really disappointing. Hmm. And I think the amount of good you can do as a first-class citizen, because, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, by definition, is a po- is a first-class sure. citizen. Mm. Because, you know, hey, you have access to the internet, you're listening to this on your smartphone or your laptop or whatever else. I think being a first-class citizen in a country which right now is a developing country, but the whole point of a developing country means you're going to become a first-world country. Mm. 
I think your opportunity to do so much good, not just for yourself, for purely selfish reasons, but for so many, if you think in terms of impact, is so huge. I honestly think you'd be a fool to go anywhere else. Sure. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a great time talking to you. I hope it's likewise. <laughs> <laughs>